my, I have enjoyed that, yes boy. Me, oh my, I have enjoyed that, yes boy. Me, oh my, I have enjoyed that, yes boy. Me, oh my, I have enjoyed that, Me, oh my, I have enjoyed that, yes boy. And thank you very much for tuning in to another episode of Code with Kingy, where for the sit down, I'm joined by the pride of the Marcos, a former crusader, um, but currently running the ship for the Highlanders, uh, that being the brother Mitch Hunt. First of all, Cuz, before I crack into the questions, just say thank you very much for your time and how's life? Yeah, good, man. Good to be on. Thanks for having me. Um, yeah, obviously all, all interesting at the moment with rugby and in general for us footy players sort of confined to, to a little bit of our, our rugby bubbles and um, sort of our, our household peoples. But as we sort of were yarning before, um, we're pretty limited to what we can do around in the community and bits at the moment. So um, things are pretty cruisy and, and sort of just rugby focused, I suppose. How disruptive has it been? Because, I mean, I was going to save this question for later around like, especially not to bring it up, your guys start the competition hasn't been the flashes. So to have this come in where probably the, the biggest thing you want to do is to get back on the wagon and get back to training and trying to find that groove. Is it annoying like having this come up? Because it was almost inevitable with the fact that you guys left Queenstown. And I understand that because a lot of boys want to be around home, especially a lot of the All Blacks had just been on tour for three months last year. But uh, yeah, yeah, it's just, it's a, it's a, it's a <coughs> weird period. And even like looking forward, like who's to say that this won't happen again in another month's time? Yeah, 100%. Um, that's that's probably the, the key thing is, is there's so much unknown around, uh, you know, obviously as we head into sort of those last round of games against, um, you know, the rest of the NZ teams and then obviously heading into the Aussie stuff, you know, what, what's mm. that going to look like? Um, no one no one was really going to not sort of know once we, um, well, until we start getting into it. Um, I don't know. I, I wonder for us, maybe if it's a, it is slightly a little bit of a, a blessing in disguise. You know, maybe we just pump the brakes for a minute and, and sort of reevaluate a bit of what our game looks like, um, a little bit of what we're trying to achieve as a group. And we've done a little bit of that across the week. Obviously, uh, we haven't been in training together, but um, lots of meetings and catch-ups and, and potentially a little bit of change coming for us. So, uh, look, maybe it's a good thing for us, maybe not so much for some of the other teams who, who had some roles on, but... Um, yeah, maybe good, and hopefully, yeah, we can. Well, this can be a little bit of the start to, to our change for the season. Absolutely, um, and obviously, I know like things are as we said up in the year with COVID and whatnot. But speaking like primarily on the rugby, like what has the vibe been like? Obviously, you'd want to be what is it three from three now with the games that you've played, but you're zero and three. I mean, I know it's a long season, and especially this year with it being Super Rugby Pacific, you only have to make, what is it, the top eight out of the 12 teams? Yeah, yeah. So, like, it, you just have to make the finals, and then, you know, you play it from there. But, yeah, are you guys still pretty optimistic? And what's the word been from Brownie? Yeah, look, obviously from us, like, uh, <clears throat> we've, had, um, we've had some really great patches of footy. I think we're, you know, like, if we look at the start to our, uh, our Crusaders game, you know, we were right in it till um, like the 60th, 65th minute, and then we sort of let ourselves down. Um, you know, we had a we had a wicked lead against the Blues, and we sort of let ourselves down. So, like I, I sort of been talking to a few people, like the the foundations of our game are actually all there. It's really just the the small, the sort of one percenters in our game that are letting us down, um, which are ultimately, you know, not getting us that that <clears throat> um, that win at the end. So. 
Uh, we just got to go back and have a look at a couple of small things, maybe adjust a few tweaks for our game. But if you look at the majority of the games that we've played, really we're probably beating ourselves, you know, and, and maybe a little bit of our finishing too. So when things start getting tired, how can we execute in that last 15, 20 to, um, you know, when the pressure's on to come away with a win. So it's just small things really in our, in our game. Mm, I mean, I'm a lifelong Hurricanes fan um, and still am, but I, I love the way that you guys play. But and, and it's frustrating as a fan to watch it, you know, because like yeah. you guys go into, you know, I bet the underdog and a lot of the games that you go into bar when you play the Hurricanes, I want you to win. But it must be even more frustrating as a guy out on the field being like, man, we were in there. And, yeah. you know, like a couple of plays go your way. Like, for example, the game against the Crusaders, if you score your try, yeah. totally different ball game. But yeah, from yeah, then exactly. on, they, they, they took confidence out of that. They go on and, you know, Will Jordan does his thing and it's just like, it's funny how like how fine the margins are at that level. That's that, that and that's sort of all it really seems to be. I, I guess the way that Brownie sort of coaches, he's very much you know from from that era of of like C space attack space and and sort of whatever means to uh, to get it there, uh, and it has that freedom for us as players, um, a license just to sort of go out and play what we see. I guess at times that can create you know, potentially a little bit of looseness in a game where it's always about throwing the extra pass or if there's an offload on, throw it. And sometimes potentially where patience is key or, or at those critical times, um, you know, and then going back to an example of um, that, that Canes game we played, uh, the amount of opportunity that we had uh, in the 22 attacking, I think we come out of that game with like 21 errors. It was an ugly and game to watch, bro. Like, twi- like 21 errors. So that's pretty much like you drop balls, you, all your, your things like that. So it was like 21 errors and then uh, was it like 15 penalties? So if you add those two up, it's like 36 times that we're giving the ball to the Canes for free. Mm. So that's that, – and again, that's sort of what I'm talking about before, like potentially a little bit of looseness in our game, not nailing the, the small bits of detail and understanding – so I guess with Brownie's coaching style, it's about trying to find that balance of, of patience, but also freedom and license to play. Um, and I think if, if we get that bit right, you know, we're a dangerous team. Exactly, bro. And that's the thing, like, had you guys, I mean, it was pretty tough having that that call at the last minute where Artie stripped it, but he said, yeah. like, leave him. You got you, yeah. you seven points down. So had you had the ball back, you would have given yourself a chance. Yeah. Um, and yeah. one of the other things I wanted to ask is that, for whatever reason, you guys always catch the injury bug at the worst times, whether it be the start of the season. Yeah. Um, and even more so this year with having lost the likes of Ash Dixon and then not having guys like Liam Squire in the group. Putty Putty Parkinson's a guy who's come a long way um, since he's joined the Landers. Is it tough for you as a game driver, like having, you know, having potentially like a different, a different 12 outside you every other week and then having the Fords chop and change? And then, yeah, it just seems like, I know we just talked about disruption before, but you guys, can't, you don't, you, you haven't been granted the, the license or the opportunity to, to find those combinations. And when you did, like, for example, at the back end of the, the Super Rugby, the second time round, what was yeah. it, the Pacific or whatever, Pacific, you guys like, yeah, 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 it's, it's obviously it's the, I guess it is the unfortunate nature of the game sometimes in terms of um, injuries. And, and like you say, sometimes, I mean, we sort of keep finding that short end of the straw. But yeah, I, I think that's a classic example. You know, the back end of last year across the last few NZ games and then heading into the Pacific, 
we're really fortunate around injuries that um, we're able to play that same team, create some great combinations and relationships, and and I guess ultimately finding that flow um, gets gets wins, uh, you know, at some stage. So, like you're sort of saying again, we've caught a lot of injuries early on, which is changing combinations, and um, it does take time for guys to get used to each other, understanding how um, the different guys play, communicate, what strengths are. So. You know, fingers crossed from now that that sort of eases up for us or the injury front does. But I think that, you know, if we get a bit of luck on that side and, and fine-tune our game a little bit, hopefully we start seeing a couple more results. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, when you got the likes of yourself, Brownie, Aaron, and a lot of the young guys that are coming through, hopefully Tom's injury isn't too bad. Um, you yeah. guys will be a force to be reckoned with um, once everything clicks. But why don't we start it from day dot with you though, bro? Um, take us back to a young Mitch. I know you're a Nelson lad. So whereabouts in that area did you grow up and when did footy become your thing? Um, yeah, so so Nelson, Nelson born and bred for me. All my schooling, uh, all my family's there. Even all, basically all my wider family's still there, which is awesome for me. Uh, I'm a Stoke boy, so that's sort of 10, 10 minutes or so just outside of the, the main Nelson town. Um, a little small little spot there so good bunch of my mates that I'm still really close with we all grew up there which is cool cool to get back to but um yeah I was actually uh played soccer early on don't even know how one of the, one of the one of the boys uh dads was was heavy into his into his football and we all sort of just gravitated towards soccer for sort of the first I don't know five years five six years of school started playing a few of the inter-school uh like tackle tournaments as a bit of fun on like the Wednesdays off and at primary school when I was a defender in soccer because I was quick and I think I sort of got to that stage after doing a few of these tackle tournaments and it was like you know maybe I wanted a, I wanted something a little bit tougher or a little bit challenging than sort of sitting in you know defense and soccer mm. when you're like 10 years old there's not much going <laughs> on you're just quick saving tackles and so I think I wanted a bit of change of challenge um, something new, something fresh, and and I guess yeah, those little tackle tournaments probably ignited a little fire in me. Um, something a bit grittier as well. So probably about eleven, uh, started playing rugby. Um, from there, and uh, yeah, Nelson College boy, shifted there to high school. Uh, had a great time at college, man. I loved, I loved all the schooling in that. Um, I wasn't much of a, I mean, sorry, I obviously loved sport growing up in that, but that wasn't really my focus at high school. Um, mm. I was in all the sort of academic classes. I uh, didn't take PE and things like that, but obviously was was mad on rugby. So rugby and touch really when I got to high school was uh, was my two sports. Man, I love touch. Probably would almost be my my preferred game if it was you know if, if I could get down that route. If it was like paid or professional, and I love touch. So probably those two games for me at high school, and then uh, I was pretty hard on the on the academics as well. Interesting. What's the love from touch stem from? Yeah, again, I don't know. I think it was like a, it was sort of a late pickup for me as well. I remember there was a few rep teams or like you sort of your under, uh, like your junior under 13s or something like that used to go and play South Island. And I remember a group of mates going into that and uh, I was like, nah, I don't remember, didn't go and have a crack. I don't know what it was then. And the next year was like the under 15s, I think. And it was like, no, nah, I'm pretty keen to pretty keen to give this a try. Uh, see how it goes. Ended up loving touch from there. We had a pretty successful um, high school touch team. I think we won our South Islands like four out of four years. Uh, we ended up 
uh, as Nelson Bay's playing like the national um, under 15s and I actually ended up making the um, NZ under 15s team mm-hmm. for, for touch uh, and then a couple of years later made the um, made the NZ under 19s as well in my last year of high school so obviously that's touches a lot of um, you know pay your own way a lot of the people are obviously full-time work it's it's um, it's just something they're passionate about and obviously that becomes really hard when you know you're paying like three grand to get to Aussie for a comp so you know really that was the extent of it but I know a lot of the guys feel the same that have come through the touch man it's just such an exciting game fast all about decision making and reads and I just loved all that side of things there for me it was just uh, yeah awesome passion yeah I've got a few mates that that love their touch and it was one of those things where my old man wasn't a big fan of touch. So, you know, like yeah. any kid, and especially the relationship that I have with my dad, I was always like, yeah, I don't like touch either. Yeah, it's dumb. Um, but <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think had I actually invested more time in it and actually given it a chance, like my skill set probably would have been a lot better. Not to say yeah, that I would yeah. have made anything, but that's probably the big thing. Like you see some of the passes that kids at like 12 or 13 are making um, in terms of the long balls. And it's just like, far out like I, I couldn't even do that now but it's just so ingrained in them because it's just yeah. that repetition and then you, you compound that with the the rugby training that these guys are doing and yeah you know, I definitely think that you can definitely tell like when you watch a yeah, rugby player 100%. if you're a touch player as well 100 percent yeah um yeah along with the weight even 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 things like uh I don't know if it's just the you know the obviously the way the game is but like being able to read people and like a defense and stuff like you know, obviously not at the level of, say, like a, a NZ rappers, but even those junior 15 tournaments, like being able to scoop through or like pick someone off through a hole and, and then, like you say, the passing skill behind it, um, mate, you're exactly right. Like you can pick a, a rugby player that's played touch for sure, like passing game, um, you know, decision-making on reads, just finding gaps with, with footwork, you know, guys like Richie, classic example, man, like he's mm. just an absolute wizard, but was he like NZ mixed at like fifteen or sixteen cents, something like that? Anyway, but you know the way his game is, you can exactly see how a lot of those skills transfer. Man, it's um, you can you can you can definitely pick those footy players that have that have transitioned out of it for sure. Yeah, bro, absolutely. Um, and and you talked about your time at Nelson College as well. Sort of going against the grain, you went in the rugby job. You actually enjoyed going to class. Um, your school wasn't yeah. just about eating lunch and playing rugby. But you yeah. actually amassed, like, what was it, 50 games for the first 15. So there was obviously that love for that there. Um, and we can talk about your time in the first 15 and how successful you were. But just as a question from me, like, I'm not a very big guy. I've played halfback my whole life. I actually started on the wing. Yeah. But for whatever reason, my, my, my pace just dipped off um, post-primary school. I was, I was like that guy at primary school. Yeah, I was yeah. like that fast. On the athletics day. <laughs> yeah, but then I don't know what happened. I peaked way too early. Yeah. But one of the things that I faced over the course of my um, my battling career was that it's the size thing. Um, and the fact that you played 50 against the first 15, and I'm, I'm not sure if, I don't know, you got to the size you were in year nine and were just a, a freak of a guy. But did you ever have that at any period of your life? Because even now, like, you're not the biggest guy running around, but yeah. you, you foot it with the best of them. And is that, but has that always been the case? And so is that sort of, discrimination for size never been apparent for you yeah I guess I've been pretty lucky like I think I guess uh so I, I sort of did athletics and stuff growing up and was always quite fast as a, as a young fella but was never never had uh never had size uh, I remember like I was always in the front rows of all my primary school photos so I've always been 
always been the smallest. But yeah, I, I don't know what, like you say, that through my first 15, man, I, I think I would have finished my year 13 and been like 60, I don't know why it sticks out. Like I think I was 67 kilos when I finished high school, right. um, which is, you know, light as. But I don't know. I, I just, for me, I just always had this mentality because I think I got mentioned to or talked to a few times and maybe even dad once said, you know, there was a couple of like rep selectors who were maybe suggesting I maybe try halfback as a smaller guy because mm. it might be tougher for me to make it as a 10. And I just remember always refusing, being like, nah, it's not for me. And then, you know, nothing against it, but I was like, almost had that little bit of chip on my shoulder about like, nah, I'm not moving, like things are fine you've got no dramas you know and again I don't know where it stemmed from but uh, I just had this edge about me in terms of my defense through high school um, I really prided myself on basically not giving a shit who was in front of me um, I was going to chop him I was going to do whatever it took to, to get him down and, and I guess that sort of always stuck with me uh, a little bit and you know I, I sort of love defense and um, you know like I'm not going to dominate people and, and put the shots on but I guess that little chip on my shoulder or that edge growing up through high school and stuff like that maybe put me in a good space to to be able to handle, um, you know, these sort of levels that I find myself in now. Yeah, bro, absolutely. Not yeah, not that I've ever played against the caliber of players that you have, but I can honestly say there's nothing more gratifying because I know, like when I when I played club rugby or even through high school, guys' yeah. eyes light up when they used to see me and they'd be like, oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's barbecue chicken. And when I chop yeah. them, i get up and, like, it's just a normal tackle, but I, it's yeah. almost like I'd just run a marathon, mate. I'd be like, exactly. yeah. That little um, achievement, eh? Yeah. yeah. Absolutely, bro. And to be fair, like, from the sidelines, my mum used to, like, wince. She used to hate watching yeah, me play yeah, the guys that <laughs> I was up against, even now um, in the club scene. But, yeah, I like like yourself, although it's like a, a hundred times down from where you're playing. Yeah, I, I, I too pride myself on the defensive side of things being a smaller dude. Um, and so from there, so obviously you play your 50 caps at Nelson College, but you end up taking your talents to Auckland. And, I, 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 you know, obviously I, I know a little bit about this, having done my reading and, you know, listening to your, yeah. your podcast with old um, Jimmy Ma, what a lad, shout out to him. Good man. Um, but for, for, for a guy like yourself, having played 50 games for a first 15 in the Crusaders catchment, was there any interest from them? And then, so what ultimately led you to, to want to go to Auckland? Yeah, I guess, so basically at the start there, uh, at the time for me in Nelson, so there was no development or academies as such and in, in, in directly in Nelson at the time. And so basically if my path was going to be to, the Marco then it was like stay play club footy and hope that you shine there and maybe get selected into into the Tasman group and that was that, that was sweet as well uh, if I looked in Christchurch Richie was only a year older than me and so he would have already been down in, in that academy set up Damo was same year as me and at Christ and so there's obviously the potential Naturally, he was in Christchurch, and I never, you know, I didn't know what he was doing and would end up at um, up in uh, Hamilton. But there was potential that at that time, thinking he might be in Christchurch too. So as right. another ten, I go there, and now I'm stuck behind, or not necessarily, but I'm battling out with mm. these other two guys. Damo is obviously a wizard and was in the the schools and the bar bars and that for the last couple of years. Um, Richie was already there, so you put three tens there, just in a pot battling each other. Um, I think Auckland had come and said, 
you know, there was a bit of a gap in their market in the academy and I uh, hadn't signed anything at school or anything, but it was more of a, hey, look, we're interested in you if you want to come up. And obviously with my schooling, I was pretty keen to, to head to uni as well. And so where sort of there was this gap in a development academy plus potential for uni, I just thought this could be a cool combination. Gets me a little bit out of my comfort zone as well. Um, didn't know anyone there. Didn't, didn't really have any mates going to Auckland, moving away from home, like this whole fresh change or something was was sort of appealing. So I guess that's how sort of that came about in the decision there to head away up there. Interesting that your mind was like that. See, I was wired to where I just wanted to be around my mates and be around family, whereas yeah. someone like yourself was obviously craving um, stepping outside of his comfort zone. And so how did you find living in Auckland and having to balance the books with footy the first year? Like Nelson, you know, being the small town that it is, I'm guessing everybody sort of knew everyone. And then in yeah. Auckland, you've just got like motorways that are endless and you know, uh, yeah. different parts of town that have their own sort of vibe going on. And yeah, like how, how did you adapt to that change? Well, it was tricky, eh? Like uh, I, I remember having my last school exam and then the next morning. So it was like, I didn't even really get to say like, say to my mates it was like my last school exam the next morning I was on a plane up to Auckland to head to this academy stuff uh, I remember the first day in the car my old man my old man come up with, with me for the first few days getting me sorted so you could I could <clears throat> somehow rented I mean I don't know how this all worked out like rented a, a uni a uni room for like the summer because mm-hmm. I had to go and do all this pre-Christmas academy training rented a uni a uni room so there's no people in the halls anyway, apart from the few people doing summer school. So I'm up in this uni room, basically by myself. Old man had come up. Uh, I'm nearly late because I'm getting crossed up on the highways to my first day at academy. I'm like, mate, this is like, I'm, what's Nelson? Like 60,000 people heading into the millions. So I'm just like so out of my depth. But I remember walking in and there was, uh, you know, you get the likes of Akira, Mitch Karpik, these guys all my year, but I think Akira had got like golden boot for schools. Karpik was in all that stuff. All the guys a couple of years ahead of me, like all these Auckland boys, because of they were naturally in these good schools, all in those systems already. Mm-hmm. And me at this <clears throat> 67 kilo fella walking in from Nelson, you know, like who's this bloke turning up at the front doors on the first day? Um, was sort of you know like quite overwhelming where I just sort of almost felt like I didn't fit in or wasn't supposed to be there sort of thing but uh, the awesome blokes just sort of that first month of me in that hall by myself just trying to find my feet um, really was just about keeping my head down and and just I don't know showing up with effort um, and you know trying to make that name or prove yourself uh, sort of worthy for being there so man all real interesting but um, you know big learning blocks as well which was wicked. Yeah, bro, I can only imagine. And you, you talked about the fact that Nelson at, the, at that time when you left school didn't have an academy system. So was it a huge step up in training once you got to Auckland or were you already big on the extras back at home? Um, <clears throat> I guess it was just, for me, like the at high school, we, we'd only recently been introduced to like gym programs and stuff like that. And it's not like the schools now where, man, you know, they're probably gymming three or four days a week all these extra bits and that like we had a couple of gym sessions that was like introducing us how to squat how to do cleans the real basic fundamentals and and sort of starting this um this gym work so for me it was just that next step up of all of that stuff like we were really getting into the gym now though 
uh, like you sort of said, mentioned before, it was, you know, the academy's all outside of your standard eight to five working hours. So for me, it was like you go and do a gym session at five o'clock, 5.30 in the morning, go do a full day of uni. And then on the Tuesday night, you know, you've got to get out to club training. So my days are like five, probably 5 a.m. wake up, 8.30, 9 p.m., chucking the head on the pillow sort of thing. So mm. even all that sort of stuff was a huge change where that just wasn't, I just wasn't used to any of that. But just lots of the classroom learnings, you know, the gym learnings, now the information of extra field work. Um, but I loved it. I just, I thrived in it, loved the detail, loved learning. So, um, you know, it, it was it was a shock to initially get used to, but also at the time I was just, I was loving every bit, bit of it. Having talked to a few guys like yourself, it's interesting that they say that that time in like the academy system is arguably the hardest of all of it because you yeah. haven't made it and you have you don't have the security of having money not to say that once you get a super contract you've made yeah. it but like you're financially sound you don't have to worry about anything else like you're getting paid to play rugby whereas when you're in that academy yeah. system there's still those people that say you know like maybe you're investing too much in your rugby and you need to have a backup but it's so hard to balance the two because you know you, you're turning up to these academies where there's often two or three guys in your position and there's only one contract up for grabs and yeah, one yeah. guy might not be as big on the book so he's actually spending more time you know out on the field practicing his skills and so yeah you know, i can only 100%. imagine how hard that must have been to juggle and especially for you a guy who liked being in the books but yeah i mean do, do you have anything to mention there around yeah just like the the, the struggle to try and um <clears throat> find that balance and, and even being social bro like there yeah, are so many yeah. guys who are maybe too invested in their footy that um, in the unfortunate case that they suffer an injury or they miss selection, you can, you see how devastating yeah, it is. is off. Yeah, massively. So. Um, yeah. Like it, there was a, there was a massive struggle. I mean, especially the, the timetable stuff. Um, so I ended up studying uh, physics when I got to Auckland uni. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I guess if, I don't want to say it without sort of being rude, but the usually the personality type of the, the people doing physics, you know, were very academic. Gotcha. Uh, why would you choose sport over a you know you a guaranteed career if you get this stuff right? And so, even things like I was in the first uh, under 19s t- uh, group that did the Taupo tournaments, and the absolute mission it was for me to get five days off uni in terms of um, your labs, um, those extra bits that I had to do, like the phone calling, the signatures I had to get. And it was all just almost frowned upon at that time for me to be missing school and, you know, with, with the sort of people that I was dealing with. And so even that was so uh, such admin just to, just to get this week off to go and play this tournament, which may or may not have got me into this next level. So even things like that, I found really tough. Um, the fact that Auckland's so big and for me to get to, I think I had to leave uni at 4 p.m. It took me uh, like 50 minutes usually to get out. My, my club was Pakaranga, so it took me 50 minutes to get out there just so I could goal kick before training to get that sort of stuff in. So trying to balance that whole thing, um, yeah, real tough, real tough. So lots of, but again, lots of good learnings, eh? like organisation, you know, being punctual, making sure I had a good routine, you learn all those little things and amongst all that stuff as well. So yeah, great patch of learning. Yeah, so it's, it's obviously served you well in the long run, but you can see why a lot of guys get overwhelmed by it. And if they maybe yeah. don't have the, the backbone that you do or have the network around them, you can see how things can start to take a turn for the worse. Yeah, for but sure, absolutely. 
you're in the 19 setup. How did footy progress in the two years that you were in Auckland? Yeah, so obviously another big change for me was um, when I first got there was like senior senior club footy, and I guess heading to to Pakaranga for me there again there was a there was a space where the uh, the last ten had left. So uh, I guess when the academy was sort of naturally put straight into club footy, and again probably the size thing really hit home here where. Obviously, a lot of the Pacifica players in, in Auckland club footy, man, like, it was, I've always sort of said, like, you know, if you thought you could tackle, like, you really learned quickly here <laughs> how to somehow find a way to tackle, man, because the majority of what, the, the size of what you're playing against, man, like, you get the, the huge Polynesian forwards, but then, like, the backs are all massive guys. These guys are grown men. They're fast. They're strong. And here's me again coming out, just starting to gym. Maybe I'm 70 kilos now, I don't know, after a summer, but <laughs> Just getting these guys down your channel, and it was that whole thing of like, man, if you if you thought you could or didn't know how to tackle, you you learned real quick there. So that was awesome as well, getting into that sort of setup for the first time, club footy, uh, and then yeah, so obviously heading into 19s from there, uh, I had a lot of guys now that are playing Super Rugby out of that team, which is great, uh, and I ended up making the the sort of 20s camps from there. I think we got third uh, playing for Auckland in 20. What have been 2014, I think it was. So um, third at the nationals, but yeah, ended up ended up making the 20s camp, which um, you know I was really stoked with. Again, missing out on like schools or barbarian stuff. You know, Nelson College, we we made a few finals, but never got to like a South Island final or a NZ top four. So uh, you know, I was personally really stoked that I was able to make these 20 camps and and hopefully put a put a good foot forward, which I obviously managed to do and, and make 20s that next year. I'm guessing that played into you then being linked up with the Auckland senior team or had you off the back of the nine teams been training in and around that? Yeah, I don't think I'd done anything with the MPC stuff, um, that that full MPC squad before 20s. Um, made 20s and <clears throat> we'd won uh, over in Italy. So uh, I, was, I was first five for the first two or three games, I think it was, and had Oteri Black, who I think he just he made his debut for the Canes yeah, for like this one game and then come over and, and, and play 20s. So first few games, um, I was at 10 for the 20s and then Oates come over, uh, jumped in at 10 and then I was basically at fullback, played at fullback in the final, which was cool. Uh, and then yeah, basically from there, joined up with the Auckland squad full-time. So had that little stint, stint that first year uh, with them, which was great. Uh, a lot of those guys as well were, were joining up and, and from the academy. So a lot of faces that I'd just been with for the last year and a half also making that transition. So it was really comfortable sort of space to, to join into. Yeah. And if I've got my notes right, after that, that that first experience with Auckland, you got linked in with the Crusaders the next year, right? That's when you went back down. But before I get to that, having found your feet in Auckland, you're with the 20s, you're now with the top side. From there, did you sort of have this vision that, you know, you were going to play or get your early crack potentially at Super Rugby in Auckland? Because I think at that time, the Blues hadn't really settled on a 10. I think I think they had the likes of Simon Hickey. I don't know if Stephen Brett was still kicking around those days. I'm probably thinking that's he's probably a bit too um, far back. Maybe but, Ehire might have been yeah. there in his last year or two, potentially, mm-hmm. floating up there. Yeah, like, did you, did, was that, like, your, your vision, or was there always a plan to, I don't know, dip out elsewhere? Because, I mean, the Blues weren't a very good team, at that time yeah yeah um i mean 
my issue probably first and foremost was that in that Auckland team that that Sai Hickey was obviously their number one ten. Uh, he was already with the Blues. He'd played twenties there before, but he was also the captain for Auckland. Right. And he was only like 20, 21 or twenty two, and he was skipper at first five. And so, not that I wasn't confident, but I just sort of was a realist and understanding like my time with my time playing this year might be limited just for that reason. Yeah. I was never under any sort of false illusion that I was going to be chucked in this massive opportunity and stuff. Like I, it just wasn't going to be that way. And that was fine. Uh, I guess I think I played the first game, um, full game, which was great. I missed a, I missed a goal kick, a penalty kick on full time to win. Uh, against Southland in my very first MPC game. So that's something that's stuck with me for there. Uh, it's like 40 out, just must left of the post. But so that's that sticks with me out from you know my first MPC game. Uh, so I'd come back in the next week or the week after. And I think if I totaled my if I totaled my minutes for that first year, I played like six or seven games, it equaled two games worth of minutes. And I played nice. the whole first game. Yeah. I got 80 in the first game and then 80 minutes across like six games. So like I'm real raw still at, at this level, getting little five minute bits at the end and stuff. But I got a, I got a call from, uh, it actually started with Leon McDonald, who was back coaching Tassie. And he basically rang me and said like, mate, do you want to come home? And I was sort of like, you know, shit, what, what's going on? He said, do you want to come home? Uh, obviously maybe keeping tabs on me across the last few years and, he said, look, we've got uh, we've got Marty Banks there at the moment at 10, but we're keen to sort of integrate you in that role. But primarily you'll be fullback for us if you want to come home. And I was like, oh, I've just played at Auckland and what's going on. And there was that there was that hole for them at fullback, which meant I was going to play minutes. And he said, um, you know, would it help if, if, a, if the Crusaders were involved? So I was like, oh, geez, right. <laughs> um, what's going on here? And well, not funny, but weirdly enough, Izzy Dag was playing for Hawks Bay and had just done his shoulder. And so again, where if you look link back to the Crusaders, there was a full injury replacement, full contract, ready to go at the sort of fullback. Uh, and basically it was sort of all talked through. I remember going back and I was having chats to Tana, who was coaching at the Blues. But again, you had, um, you know, if I stuck around in Auckland, I would have had Syatt at 10 and captain he was with the blues there was a few guys floating around and just this potential to go home and really play some npc minutes be straight in with the super side get experience i just sort of couldn't pass that up i don't think um and that's sort of how that link basically ended up there and and i basically went that npc season auckland and had the three weeks off or whatever and by december i was down in christchurch you know, in a, a preseason at the end of 2015. Wow. I mean, I got, I got two questions to follow that. The first being, how weird is it that you get this random call from Leon McDonald? Like, I'm guessing you hadn't had any conversations with him the past, yeah. over that 18 months, however long you're in Auckland. Yeah, yeah. Just getting that sort of phone call out of the blue and then him proposing an offer like that where he's saying, you know, like the Crusaders might be able to help us out here as well. Like, yeah. Like, where does well, your that's you know? That's that's that was probably the big thing because you know like you can I guess you could sort of stomach maybe the NPC call like do you want to come home you're like man family's there that's home home for me but then just to be you know and and I guess in that phone call it was like maybe I'll I'll have a chat to it was Toddy Blackheader at the time who was coaching 
and it was sort of like, uh, I'll have a chat to him and, and maybe see what the Crusaders can do. And you're like, man, I've played 160 minutes NPC. I like it. <laughs> and again, it was almost like one of those situations, like if I rocked up there, you know, I probably shouldn't be here, but I've found myself, you know, that sort of, again, with those early sort of feelings similar to the academy ones, like I played 160 minutes. They're like, who's this kid? <laughs> What's going on? Where's he come from sort of thing? Yeah, he was in the 20s, but we haven't seen anything of him. So that was that was a lot of that feeling, you know, a lot of emotion, like positive emotion, but yeah, definitely hit all over the show getting getting that that phone call for sure. Yeah, bro. I, yeah, I can really only imagine. And then, yeah, obviously you shift um, down to the Crusaders even before having played for Tassie. What was that like? Like you said, you'd, you'd had less, you know, about roughly two games under your belt, and then you're in a Crusaders setup where you know the, the team's practically all All Blacks, or at least the starting. Yeah. 15 is and maybe some of the the guys on the pine so yeah, like yeah. are you just rocking up being like how like is this a dream like how did, how has this happened yeah that was that was pretty crazy that first year I guess we had that team there for probably two years I think the likes of Kieran Reed obviously the, there's, there's the white white lock um Oe Franks you know Moody just just all those guys that were I guess at that stage those boys probably nearly just starting their all black stuff but had been there for a few years you know Matt Todd in there who'd been playing great footy just all these legends at the time uh my first year I had Namani Nandolo was was on the wing which was pretty cool as the player he is like you're still seeing clips of him just dominating overseas and yeah. um I was pretty I was pretty starstruck at that stage. Again, things had happened pretty quick, you know, probably from 19s to, what was that? 19s was 2014. And by the end of 2015, I'm in, I'm in that super setup with, with those sort of guys. It was pretty incredible. Um, in terms of playing it and things though, I was pretty much a tackle bag holder and I might've been uh, wing one day. I might've been running around with like a number six jumper on just to fill a spot at training, you know, like, so that was very much a, uh, sort of watching from the sideline or taking information in and, and, and trying to learn from that perspective and again I'd come down as a, a sort of a fullback replacement for Izzy Dag so number 10 wasn't really on the cards at all in terms of my learning uh, I guess the again the comms for Tasman season was a fullback so I was sort of placed in that in that outer zone um, we had Richie uh, Ben Volavola at the time there and Marty McKenzie, there was, I remember one of the coaches, one of the backs coaches had said to me in a sit down with a bit of feedback, uh, like, we don't want your first game as a Crusader to be at number 10. And I thought it was slightly weird. I said, I understand uh, more me internally thinking this. Like, I understand I'm down here for fullback replacement, but like, I'm a 10 that can play fullback, sort of not the other way around. And that was sort of always my thinking, like, nah, I'm a 10 that I can play fullback. I'm a 10 that I can play fullback. And Marty McKenzie got injured. And so when they used to have those June international windows, you used to go and play, uh, like the guys that were left in the Crusades used to go and play the Canes and those random like pre-warm-up things before the season started again. Mm-hmm. And I remember we had this shitty as day in like Timaru. It was raining and it was like on this muddy club field. And it was just one of those ones where you're like, I just don't want to be here today. Yeah. But um I remember Marty getting injured, maybe like a groin or something, like real early on. And they're like, Mitch, you're at 10. Oh, I haven't done any 10. You guys told me I'm not a 10 here. 
you didn't want me to play 10. I, don't, I haven't trained at 10. I don't know anything at 10. And they're like, you're at 10. And I was like, oh, this, this would be right. Ended up playing actually all right, scored a try. And I think must have been the first few games back, I was named on the bench uh, for a proper competition game um, against the Rebels. And funny enough, I got on with 30 to go. We boys were um, pumping the Rebels at that stage, but got on with 30 to go. And then, yeah, funny enough that I was uh, at 10. So sort of how it come full circle that I wasn't supposed to be, but um, it sort of did. So ended up getting two games my first year, one at 10 and one was a sort of a Johnny McNichol got popped his finger or broke his finger or something. And I got chucked on the wing for my second game against the Canes in Christchurch for like four minutes or something on the wing. Um, so that was sort of the extent of, of my first year. So again, real roller coaster of sort of like emotion, being told info, learning, but um, ultimately ended up back at, well, my first game was for, you know at 10 for the Satyrs, which was um, a bit ironic as well. Mm, absolutely. So obviously that first year, like you said, you, you talked about it being very much um, a learning year and just like just being grateful for any opportunity that you got. And then the change next year was obviously the change in coach. Uh, yeah. And whenever I talk to guys who have these relationships, and I guess you've had relationships now with two guys that I'm fascinated about, one being Razor and then the other one being Brownie. And you've talked about how Brownie, you know, pretty much pushes you guys to express yourself. Yeah. And the, the team from what I've looked from when I've gone back and looked at the squads from 2016 and 2017, there wasn't a hell of a lot of change. Yes. Yeah. You know, when guys are playing at that level, you know, every game counts in terms of like getting those sort of reps under your belt. But was it like, did you notice like sort of that pre-Christmas training or like heading into the season in 2017, you're like, there's something a little bit different with this guy and there's something in, something a little bit different with our group this year, just from the way that his preparation was in comparison to Blackadder? Uh, it's, it, yeah, it's, it's weird because all, all the coaches that I've sort of dealt with, like all the, all the, all the learnings that they're trying to push, they're all very similar around, say like breakdown work, what they're trying to achieve at a breakdown. All that sort of stuff is, is slightly different. I just don't know what it was. I, I found with Razor, he was just... Um, I guess number one, like he, he's he's pretty structured in terms of his coaching style. Like there's a reason for everything, there's a purpose for everything, and ultimately, like that that just that that requires just heavy detail. And so we're very detailed there. And I guess as players, like the more you know or the the, the clearer you are about your roles, there's no there's no grey zone for like if you did something, it was like why did you do that or why didn't you? If you did something right, it was like, that's what we've trained or asked for. So it was very clear cut with Razor um, when you got things right or wrong in terms of that structure. Uh, so that was very easy to see. But he was also, he was firm, like in his coaching and, and honest, like he'd hit you between the eyes. And I think for me, I really appreciate that as, as a player where um, sometimes coaches can sort of beat around the bush where you knew exactly with him and you almost couldn't fault that. Mm -hmm. And I wonder if that sort of coaching style, just that sort of brutal honesty it just got the best out of players. Obviously, there was, you know, Razor's been known for, for some, you know, fancy themes, the way he bases uh, the teams and, and the back the backstories he uses to, to theme a year can be um, pretty connecting for players as well. He's very family orientated in terms of the whole organisation as a family. Um, 
you know, your upstairs um, administration staff were just as much a part of the family as, as the players. So, like, the bonds and stuff like that, I felt like Razor was really, really good at getting the best out of players and, and connecting these guys and the purpose sort of all together. So, yeah, man, he's, he's a great coach in terms of, you know, what he's trying to do, deliver, and, and again, like I say, just getting the best out of um, the individuals. Yeah, I remember I was talking to Manasa Mateli last year and he said that was, like, the biggest thing for him was just the effort that Razor would go through to get everybody involved, you know, like when you yeah. guys would have your team barbecues, like he'd invite all of the front yeah. office staff down and like you yeah. get guys mingling and having photos. And he just said, yeah, it was, it just made a, a hell of a difference just in terms of like the vibe, you know, like if, yeah. you know, you'd rock up the training and everyone would smile at each other. It wasn't like it was two separate entities, like the crusade nah, yeah, was, yeah. was all one. And obviously that's led to the success you know, which has been what is what is it? The last five years, he's won um, all five of the Aotearoa along with the Super Rugby. Yeah, exactly. And yeah. That, and that's always been my thing. Like for the people who aren't the biggest fans of them, and I've got a couple of mates. They're like, you know, well, the Crusaders. You know, they have the best talent, and he's righty righty right. But I'm like, I don't think a lot of people realise that Todd Blackadder had roughly the same group. And I'm not I'm not trying yeah. to have a go at Todd Blackadder here, but Razor mm. literally came in and has done nothing but win. Yeah, but yeah, it's just from all the nice things that I've heard about him, and as unconventional as he may be to what maybe the old dogs would like, yeah, the, the, the guy has done nothing but win. Um, but along yeah. with that, though, the other thing with the Crusaders is their ability to scout talent, um, and that starts from the kids they pluck out of school, and even now with their ability to retain guys where there just seems to be a log jam in positions. I use the example of Will Jordan, where a couple of years ago. Everyone knew he was there or thereabouts, yeah. but you know, you had George Bridge, Severu Reese, David Harvilli, you know, those were three yeah. All Blacks at the time. And Will yeah, Jordan exactly. decided not to leave. And everyone's just like, Well, how is he planning on getting through when you've got three All Blacks? Yeah. Um, and obviously he's turned out to be the superstar who just scores. Yeah, yeah, it's fun. crazy. Yeah. But you know, like and, and even for someone like yourself, like being alongside Richie Moe and I'm, and I'm sure there, there, there must have been times where it's like you know clubs had shown interest so how is it that the Crusaders have this ability to pick out talent better than anywhere else in the country consistently and convince the guys to stick around because I mean like yes championships are nice but I'm guessing that with the way that you guys won all the time it's like yeah I've sort of got my rings but you, <laughs> yeah. there's, 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 like, people stay in Canterbury I don't know. I, I almost wonder if it's more the the players sort of grow once they hit the environment, as we sort of spoke about before, what Razor can sort of create, that, that sort of family sense, that belonging there, uh, coupled with the success. Like, you know, why would you want to leave when you're winning, you're winning titles? And I know it's sort of backwards because, you know, ultimately I left. But, I mean, some of the guys I've sort of wondered, you know, like, geez, you know, you, you guys would jump into spots somewhere else, but guys seem to stay. But, Maybe it is just that, you know, how familiar they are. Again, that belonging sense, it's, it's familiar. There's success now for those sort of guys, and, and that's comfortable. So that's sort of what I wonder. But I, I think the way that, again, Ray is with getting the best out of his guys, the way they review and coach each other and, and have those bonds, you know, no wonder they have success with with the way they go about this, you know, their work. So, but yeah, again, it's it's backwards for me to say because then you know I've up and left short time later. But uh, man, I, yeah, it's definitely in house. I think they're definitely all about good buggers first and and moulding the rugby players around that. So 
I think that's probably a big reason of, of their success and, and finding that talent as well. Yeah, yeah. And no, you touched on the fact that, that you have left, um, but in your time that you were there, you know, you and Richie Mwanga um, was, were the tens, and obviously Richie's gone on to do the, the special things that he's done. But do you think that having turned up to work for four years in a row, you know, having to compete with a guy like that, has that played any role in the player that you are now? You know, like once you'd got to the Highlanders, like playing with a guy of that caliber and having to compete against him. And I think any professional athlete would agree that, um, you know, you're in the occupation to start. But yeah, I, I don't know. Like, can you, can, you, can you touch on that relationship there? And like, even from a competitive <coughs> standpoint, like, I don't know where I'm trying to go with this, but like, even I, I'm probably asking too many questions at one time. But the the other, the other yeah, I no, know, no, like, yeah. yeah, yeah. Sorry, answer my first. No, I think I, think um, I know what he's saying. Yeah, it's, yeah. mate, he, he he was awesome, mate. And it, I guess on you know on the back of that, it's, it's weird because when you think about what he's actually gone and done now, like me and him, we debuted in the same year. Mm-hmm. So you like, um, and then obviously the 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 tough thing for me again, yeah, was. I guess I was seeing everything that he was doing. I was learning the same stuff, but then, you know, just the limited opportunities was yeah. probably the most frustrating thing. Like I had some patches where he was injured at the start of some seasons and, and bits like that, which was great. But ultimately when he came back from those injuries, it was back to the same for me. So any sort of flow that I might've been finding was going to be cut short. Um, and, that, and that's not his fault um, at all. But I guess that's where, you know, probably my development was a little bit, uh, roller coaster or stop start was I get a little bit of opportunity or a game to go well and then the next game I might get like five minutes off the bench and it's just not enough to to continue flow or you know keep, keep improving you know whereas if he's getting start 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 you know game after game there's going to just be that gradual growth to, to being better so um, but in terms of him though Man, he just it was, it was great to see how he went about his work. Like he's very diligent with all of his work. He's extremely smart. And I guess we're, you know, we we learned alongside each other, but you know, I got to watch as well. And and I still watch him, you know, to this day because he's obviously still doing fantastic stuff. So even now, um, I still keep we tabs on him, um, just seeing what he's doing and in and, and around his game because he's pretty <clears throat> pretty awesome to learn off. Yeah, yeah, a very special player indeed. And, and we'll get to your shift to the Highlanders, but I think um, I'd be doing this podcast a disservice if I didn't make a special mention um, to the Marco and, and your time there. Um, so obviously, like you, like we said, you were with the Crusaders um, that first year, and then the back end of that year, you were back with the Marco. But touching on sort of like the the developments of that team, because I mean, what is it now that you've played in the last six of the last eight Premiership finals? You've won two of them. They've produced a number of All Blacks. But it wasn't always that way, probably especially around the time that you were sort of just starting high school or in and around that time. And you look at like that 2013 championship, I think you mentioned it on on the Water Lab podcast, how pivotal that was for the turnaround um, of the region. But yeah, I guess for you just being a local guy, like how much pride do you take in like just how far Tasman has come pretty much since you got there and just have consistently being you know in and around silverware yeah it's, it's awesome to see eh? um i guess something that i've always sort of mentioned or talked about is i guess it's you know tasman's not like a, a canterbury or an auckland where i guess talking about their history is only words as such or 
people, you know, like people, you know, our age now, they didn't get to experience it where, you know, growing up, I was pretty much witnessing the the start of Tasman. Um, you know, the history's so shallow that um, that I've played with a few, you know, we talk about our um, our first team, our originals. Like I've played with a couple of, you know, with a couple of the originals. You know, that's how shallow the, our, our history actually is. And so I guess, you know, like you sort of said, to witness the growth through the struggle. I remember, was it, I can't remember if it was 2006 or... 2008, there was a potential um, that Tassie were going to be maybe bankrupt and not being mm. able to foot the comp. I remember getting a signed ball and writing like Tasman's last game on it and, and having a signature after the game of all the players. Oh, yeah. And so we've sort of witnessed all of that. And then, like you say, was able to see that the championship winning group in 13, then that group, you know, uh, then played in a couple of finals but didn't win. And then I guess, yeah, probably I think the my rugby career or you know my moment would be that first championship with Tasman um that's I think my my absolute highlight to date just being being a part of that fast uh, first group to to actually win a championship and the fact that it's home for me is um man I just I just love that uh I guess now the amount of homegrown players that are from the region that are in the groups awesome uh the culture that's been built through I really think that group of players through that 2011, 12, 13, 14, they really set up the success of culture and uh, we've just continued it. And the other thing I, I love is that the guys from out of the region really see Tasman or Nelson as a second home. Like guys have come here potentially not wanted from, <clears throat> um, from other regions or their home regions. They haven't, they haven't made it. And a lot of these guys now are, um, super rugby players, the majority of super rugby players getting opportunities elsewhere because of being at Tasman. So I guess that whole sort of thing, um, yeah, I'm so proud to be, you know, from the region and, and to be a part of a little bit of that as well is um, pretty wicked. Yeah, bro. Yeah, I mean, I only have to think about guys like um, I talked to Hugh Renton last year and like where he's gone, yeah. he's been to the Markle and then even guys yeah. like Alex Nankerville when they left school going straight up there as an 18-year-old. And of course, I think like any coach will tell you that, you know, it's easier to get things rolling um, when you've got a good crop of players. Um, but like you said, there's obviously been like a massive culture change within the past decade in Nelson or, or in the Tasman catchment. So what's sort of been established now to where like we will see prolonged success, you know, come the time where you leave New Zealand and David Havili kicks on and, I'm not sure if we'll see much of Will Jordan and whatnot these days with him being tied yeah, up with yeah. the All Blacks, but like what, what has been done or what has been yeah, set up to where we'll, we will see Tasman not just like drop off um, once this, this sort of golden era um, of players is. Um, well, I think, it, I, think it, I think it sort of starts with that culture stuff um, that's, that's now been created. Like we've, we've really tried to hold on to the fact that we want our coaches from the region or having a coach or a form of, of someone that's linked back. Uh, if you think of, of Leon McDonald, when he came to Tasman, he's from, he's from Blenheim, so from Marlborough. So the Tassie region, he understood, you know, what it meant to be in the area and, and about the people. Uh, our coaches over the last little bit, um, Andrew Goodman and, and Shane Christie both played for Tasman. Uh, our new coach now, uh, Dan Perrin played for Tasman. 
uh, come out of club coaching to now be our coach. Uh, our other new coach, Gray Cornelius, was from Marlborough, played for played for Marlborough. So I think where we've got now these coaches who have played in the region, understand the region, um, they've just got that deeper connection. I think there's more guys from the region in terms of how many home-based guys we have in the group, which is great. And then I guess that, as, as I sort of said before, the the guys that are coming in are really finding this place like home because they know there's there can be can be an opportunity if they put into this group. And so I, I just think the way that the leaders over the last few years have really built that sort of culture and that feel into our group. Um, I hope once we leave, those boys are still continuing to do that, create a place of opportunity through the culture, um, knowing that if you know what you put in, this place can give back even though we're a smaller region potentially than some of the others now we're footing it. So, you know, and I think as leaders across the last few years, we've really tried to bridge that sort of hierarchy gap, potentially a lot of what a lot of older rugby teams might've been, you know, with your captains and your, and your, your old guys, your back of the back of the bus sort of guys. I know this year, well, the, the, the year just been like, we've really tried to bridge the gap with a lot of the young guys, um, lots of activities, team stuff, heaps of shit going on for our group and it brought us I think it was one of the tightest groups that I've been a part of so hopefully lots of things like that that we're building in just reflects back to the footy so yeah fingers crossed that that, that does happen and there is continued um, success for the region for sure yeah I know a few teams that could definitely take a leaf out of Tasman's book <laughs> in the way they're operating at the moment but yeah, yeah to, to, to switch back to the super footy though you made the decision to move to the Highlanders from 2020 onwards, but you obviously yeah. had to make that call in 2019. Why that team and why then? Yeah, obviously it was sort of getting to the point, um, you know, and it's going back to the whole thing of, of the way that Richie was developing. Um, he was, he was, you could absolutely tell he's going places. Okay, was he maybe even already in All Black then in that year? And it was just sort of like, Right, here's my crossroads. As this this wasn't it was wasn't even about like the footy. It was more me. Uh, I think I was 24. It's weird to even be thinking like this, but I remember just sitting there constantly and just having this question in my head. It was like, can or could I actually foot it in Super Rugby against these guys, against the best in the country and some of the best in the world? Can I personally foot it with these guys? Can I compete? Can I be good or just or not you know um and for me to do that it wasn't going to be there and it was sort of um as I say that crossroad that I was talking about was either um hit overseas at 24 but I think if I hit if, if, if I left the country and went overseas I think that question would have continued to eat me away for forever I'd never really given it a chance to see if I could compete um, and that was basically where it stood. It was like, I'm, I think if I left, that question would eat me alive. So I want to go and find out. And I think my contract was coming up anyways. And I went and had a sit down with Razor and just said, look, uh, I remember pulling him aside, just said, um, like, what's your thoughts? There was also a chat just with, I think Brady Cameron had made that, played that All Blacks game in Japan. And from Razor's perspective, he just, I remember him saying to me, which also didn't give me real confidence to stay, but he sort of said, look, you're, you're too good of a player to be playing club footy here in Christchurch if Brett jumps you. Whereas, you know, I was, I was sort of that bench guy coming on. 
if Brett was then to be that player, Razor sort of said, you know, you, you're, you're too good to be playing club footy in Christchurch. And so he said, I understand if you if you want to leave, I fully respect that. And, and if you're happy to look, you know, sort of elsewhere. So it was sort of like a mutual thing of, but, but that there also didn't give me great confidence to be like, he definitely wants me around. So I guess in a way that that sort of helped my decision to leave that I didn't have this like, mate, we want you here. You know, that would have made things tricky. And I just said, okay, that's sweet. I'm going to, I'm just going to ask around. And yeah, and basically sort of led me to sort of, uh, yeah, asking around and look at the, did look at the canes. At that time, there was, <laughs> there's a few boys floating around there. But what really stuck with me from the Landers was had a, ha having a meeting with um, Aaron Major. And he sort of got to the meeting and was like, uh, he'd obviously done a lot of his homework on me. He'd spoken to the coaches, other coaches that I'd been with must have looked at a lot of my game and was like, I love that you could fit in here like this. Your game could fit in here like this, the way we could use you like this. Um, I've done homework on you. And so he really come to me with a lot of things where, I don't want to speak ill of the Canes, but when I got to those coaches, they were sort of like, how would you fit into our game? And I know it was sort of like a pump your tires up, but it was like, I only know your game from, a, from an opposition point of view. Like, I don't know what you're trying to achieve how I might fit into that from your perspective. Whereas down at the Landers was like, you would fit in here like this. Your skill set here would work well because of this. This is how I could see you joining our groups here, this and that. And so I don't know why, but that just sort of stuck out with me a little bit more. And I guess at the time uh, there was sort of Josh and Bryn and they were both sort of, I think the back end of that year before it was like, it could have been Banksy, could have been Bryn, could have been Josh playing any one of those guys hadn't really cemented any spots. So um, I just thought, look, I'm going to go down there. None of those guys were, were rock solid in there at first five. So I'm just going to go down there and, and chuck my head in the spokes and, and see what I come out with, really. Mm. I'm shaking my head at the canes. Like, this is <laughs> the worst thing. Like, you invite a guy in and <laughs> you flip it back on him. Uh, but yeah, yeah, I mean, it was just yeah, like it, it wasn't. It probably wasn't as bad as sound, but it was yeah, just yeah. sort of the way it was. Like I was sort of like, ah, you guys know how I play. Like, do I fit your mold? You know, like I, I only understand it from a, a looking mm. out or a weekly review for the Saders. That's how we sort of knew, I sort of knew things. But yeah, it's worked out all good. Right, totally understandable. <laughs> it's just yeah, like I'm yeah, I, I have my own opinions at um some of the recruiting the Hurricanes have done over the years. Um, yeah, yeah. I'll I'll leave that for another podcast. Um, yeah, nice. <laughs> <laughs> but so you made the decision to shift south, and well, I mean, one thing that I just noticed having done my homework on you is that pretty much every year that since you've left school, you've been in a position to win a trophy, whether it be with Tasman. I know you made the final with the Auckland team the first year you were associated yep, with yep. them, and then obviously, yeah, the Crusaders are just the well-oiled machine that they are. So. Going down there, of course, every team has the objective to win, but having become accustomed to just winning all the time, doesn't matter what team you're in, did you have the self-awareness to be like, okay, this is probably going to be a little bit different than what I'm used to? Yeah, for sure. I mean, um, I think if nowadays, if you're a player that got caught up on that sort of thing, like that could really eat you, eat you alive. Um, I mean, at the time I knew that it, was probably, and especially coming from the Saders, man, like we, we had those couple of years where we only lost like a couple of games and, and stuff like that. 
uh, was part of that record at home that was like 30-something home games that they hadn't lost, you know, and uh, I think it was just that self-awareness that had to realise and understand that it wasn't going to be like that, heading away from the Satyrs. I think if that was something that I was caught up on or let that affect me, I think that would have really hit in terms of, um, you know, mental and, and a rugby perspective. I think that would all flow out. So um, definitely had that self-awareness that it wasn't going to be the same, that things were going to be tougher. But also for me, it was like I had to start again. I had to re-prove to people and show people my character I was really nervous about heading down to the Landers because it was like, I didn't know if they just had this perception of like, fuck, here's this guy out of the Satyrs, won this, done that. And I didn't know how they would sort of receive me heading down there. And so I was actually pretty nervous heading down. And basically for me, it was about almost keeping my mouth shut and letting sort of all my actions do do the talking for me initially. Um, and then whatever was going to follow. So and yeah, in terms of that sense, it was I, I understood things would be different, things would be more of a challenge, and uh, I just had to reprove myself in terms of you know that was my speaking was was my actions really. Mm. It's funny that you mentioned that um, because you know if I'm being honest, I hold my own reservations when I watch the Crusaders and guys go like, man, that guy's the man, that guy's the man. But I always try and think it's like, well, it, it's very easy to look good in a good team because you're yep. just focusing on your role and yep. you know. I've been proven wrong plenty of time when guys have been picked for the All Blacks and I'm just like, oh, I'm not too sure. And he's ended up performing. Um, yeah. But yeah, it's, it's funny that, yeah, like you, like you said, you, you were aware of that. And then even when you rocked up there, again, going back to Jimmy Ma's podcast, you mentioned the fact that you'd made that decision because you knew that there wasn't a rock solid 10, but then all of a sudden Josh Iwani was an All Black. So then yeah. I know that you said your initial reaction is like, mate, what have I done to myself here? Maybe the <laughs> yeah. Canes weren't that bad. But anyway, <laughs> yeah. anyway but but you the, the thing was like when you got there, like you were the 10 the first week of the competition where I think for a lot of people outside of the environment, they probably just automatically assumed that Josh was a shoo-in given what he'd just come off the previous year. So yeah. going in, yeah, how did, how did you guess, I guess, move on from that once you got into the environment? Um, and is that just really sort of telling a brownie or just the, the Highlanders that it's like, it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter. If, maybe, maybe not Aaron Smith and Ash Dixon, but it doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah. doesn't matter who you are. Like you, you have to earn your Jersey with what you're doing on the training paddock. Yeah. Yeah. And going back, that's probably something to mention. Yeah. I, it was honestly wouldn't have been a few weeks. So I don't can't remember, but I know it wasn't too long. And, and Josh had made the, uh, that, that all blacks game for Tonga. And I just went, Oh, here we go again. You know, I've really shot myself, but I don't know if that just, again, that little bit of drive to be like, I'm here to prove I've, I've semi, you know, always had to prove myself, whether it was from size or again, you know, moving to Auckland and always had to, it was never like you're walking into a team and, and there you go, there's your, there's your shot. It was, for me, it was always prove, prove, prove. And it was sort of nothing, nothing different moving there. It was, um, if anything, I was more aware of of what I had to do or what I had to achieve getting into that environment to to um, try and make a claim or uh, get at that ten jersey. So I don't know. I, I don't. Yeah, I can't really say what it is. I I guess something for me that, that sticks out of my game that I really pride myself on is is communicating uh, my ability to help others around me on the field. Um, I think coaches sometimes miss over that sort of stuff for X factor where. In, in pressure moments, an X-factor player that doesn't talk isn't going to do anything for the team. And 
yeah. I guess a lot of where I pride myself on is obviously I'm not the the big X factor player, but I will always pride myself on on like my work rate, um, my communication, being able to help others around me, and um, you know hoping that that sort of thing actually helps to the success rather than me necessarily making five line breaks a game and, and scoring a, you know ten tries a year. So maybe things like that where I've come to realise parts of my game can actually be more important than you know than than X factor pieces. Uh, to the puzzle and that's really what I've prided myself on and worked hard at and I guess that's what I wanted to try and prove or show um, that hopefully this was the right fit Mm -hmm. the glue guy every team needs one Um, and and not that my opinion means a lot but you know just being observing the way that I do with my footy um, a self-proclaimed expert I like to say (laughs) I feel like you've made huge strides the past two seasons you know so obviously you, you rock up um, and I'm not sure whether it was just this, you know, you had, you had Josh playing outside you at 12. So just trying to find that groove of where you fit in and like how you are best placed to serve the team. And then you get into last year where, again, things were probably a little bit ugly to begin with, with injuries and whatnot. But as soon as you sort of found your groove, and I think you ended up picking up the Player of the Year award for the Landers last year. You know, d- yeah, just as a, as a casual fan, just seeing like how far you'd come, again, having my reservations about you coming from the Crusaders setup, it's been quite cool to watch. So are you happy with the growth that, you, that you've had the past sort of 24 months? Um, you know, what are the th- some of the things that you're proud of and what are some of the areas that you're still looking to chip away at? Yeah, obviously that was, again, the, the, the whole, I think it wasn't even, well, again, for me, it was the whole thing around that goal and that question that, uh, you know, could I compete? The whole thing for me was just game time. Obviously, that first year where me and Josh were sort of swapped and changed, like it really wasn't ideal for either of us in mm-hmm. terms of our game, a little bit of confidence. You know, Josh had been chucked to 12 and, and like, you know, from his perspective, he's a 10. From my perspective, I'm a 10. And there's always going to be the clash. And, and, you know, some games he was at fullback, some games I was. He was at 12 and it sort of does create a bit of disruption and, and for both of us. So I really do acknowledge that. And, and, you know, I feel for him as well, because, you know, ultimately I ended up at fullback for a couple of them thought I could help better at 10 and he, I'm sure he would have been thinking the same, you know, so real tough situation for both of us there, but uh, it really was good just to get field time. And uh, as I was sort of saying about the Crusaders, it was sort of stop start for me. Whereas now I've pretty much, I think I've played every every game for the Landers that I could have played in the last two seasons. Uh, last year, I had every minute bar 40 uh, across the whole season. So in terms of that growth and just that feeling of confidence and, um, you know, being able to be calm now out on the field and, and really feeling that, I think it's been huge. You know, I'd come on for the Crusaders with 10 minutes to go and I'd sort of be shitting myself like, Am I calling the right stuff? Oh, I don't really, you know, it's different to sort of sitting on the bench and watching the flow than being out there and now getting the feel of that stuff game after game and the growth, you know, it really has been great. So, you know, for those side of things, my mental development, getting out there, getting the feel and the comp, um, I've been so stoked with how, how things have gone. And I think even the challenges that the Landers have had to deal with over the last few years, even that's been growing, growing points for me and in, in my understanding of the game. Um, the style of brownie was new to me coming down. I was sort of, I was sort of thrown by that at the start. So, having the different coaches, um, the different challenges, there's been so much that I've that I've grown from. So yeah, hopefully, hopefully we can uh, 
get the rest of this season firing though, fingers crossed, mm-hmm. um, to, to create another good, you know, hopefully something good at the end as well would be pretty cool. So that leads me to my next question. What would you define as success um, with the Highlanders be it this year and however long you're with them? Yeah, obviously, always the the title is, is the goal, as, as you sort of mentioned earlier. You know, every team's going out to win that title. Um, I think for, for us now, success would be finding or refinding, finding our identity as a team. Um, I think we're just slightly off, and, and we've acknowledged that as a group, that potentially our, our identity of what we're trying to, how we're trying to play and get things done isn't quite right. So I think for us, if we find our identity, and like we're sort of talking about, if we can make to those playoff games, if we can turn our season around swiftly, uh, hopefully make a good run for those playoffs, and then anything could happen. Um, so I say, I think when we're on as a team, uh, it doesn't matter what the team is on paper. I think we have a shot at beating them, which we've proven in the, in the last few years. So I think success would be finding our identity and then hopefully making that playoff run. Um, and then it's anyone's shot. Wicked brother. Um, I, for one, look forward to seeing it as long as it's not against my canes. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think that's pretty much all I wanted to cover for your career to date. But like with all of my guests, I like to end it on two segments. The first being, can you take me through your game day routine, please? Game day routine. Um, nice. Uh, I'm actually pretty chill. I, uh, I mean, if it's if it's away, we're stuck in a hotel in that anyway. So that's sort of that's sort of out the window in terms of much routine. I don't know. I guess for me here, it's a bit of a sleep in to start. Uh, for me, just in terms of say like a say like a food routine, I sort of struggle to eat a lot on game day, just being sort of compressed. And so for me, I'd really only have two meals. So I'd have a bit of a sleep in or a bigger sleep in, and I'd have like a brunch, maybe like 10, 30, 11. And then for me would be um, if I was at home, probably cruise out for a coffee, head down to the beach, go chill out for a little bit in the sun if it's good. The next meal would be our pregame meal, which most teams will have that three and a half, four hours out. So just the two meals for me. Basically, yeah, I, I don't really have anything that sort of sticks out as, as like a must do or anything sort of superstitious. When I get to the ground, though, I, I'm actually more of like a, I like to sort of feel the room. So I don't really listen to music on game day. Uh, I know a lot of guys do have the headphones in, sort of like zone into to whatever they're listening to, but I don't, I don't mind actually getting to the sheds and just sort of like watching the boys, people watch, get a sort of gauge on maybe how a bit of, you know, the aura is or that feeling. Don't know why, just just people watch, the, you know, watch the fellas come and go and, and head out onto the field. And maybe I do have something as, as my, um, my windy app <laughs> as a first five, my, uh, my weather app. <laughs> I'll be on that for probably a couple of days before few times on game day mate I've got to check the winds and, and is it raining I've got to work shit out you know that's that might be my only main one but um, otherwise I'm pretty cruisy eh? um, like to keep things calm keep my head clear and uh, keep things chill stay in the blue love it bro last bit it's called 10 in the bin so I've just got 10 questions for you just answer nice. whatever comes to mind first uh, number one who was your childhood idol uh, it'd be Dan Carter Dan Carter growing up. I still got a I got a signed book from him somewhere at Mum's house. So yeah, DC was the was the idol growing up. Yeah, bro. Standard. Uh champion lightweight. Who's the worst out in the source? Lightweight. <laughs> and I once you gotta tag him in this. Um, George Bridge. 
Nice. I won't ask for any stories. Um, <laughs> what's your must do on a day off? Uh, as of the last few years, it's been a round of golf. Been um, really just a golfer since I've moved here. So as of lately, I'm into, into golf on the day off. It's a good day. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that seems to be the case for a lot of others. Uh, yeah. Coach's pet. Who's the biggest coach's pet you've been around? <laughs> um, <laughs> Quinn Strange. <laughs> which team Saders or back home oh, I'll go Tassie because that's where I've spent the most time with them <laughs> that'll, that'll wind them up <laughs> very cool uh, favourite cheat meal favourite cheat meal um, wouldn't be anything through the week but usually post game for me I'll head to the Macca's drive through mm-hmm. just be like we double cheeseburger Eminem McFlurry uh, we Sprite Zero. But yeah, that's usually like after a game, I'll um, go have a wee cheat meal there and just dip through there real quick. <laughs> there must be a few of you Landers boys. Do you, like, is it like a team thing? Because I've, you know, haven't talked to a few of them. They're like, yeah, Mac is drive through after a game at Forsyth. So <laughs> you, you, like, hey. leave, you see everyone, everyone will leave the stadium, Forsyth, and then next thing there's like three or four cars and the, the hands are out the window as everyone's sort of like pulling in <laughs> different times. Oh, great post-game nutrition. Nutrition would love that. A nutritionist would love that. Um, who's the cheapest teammate? Um, we've got the Dutchman, so James Lynch's. Mm-hmm. He's often referred to as a bit tight. He'll steal the coffee card that's got the, the, the you know, the, the nine clicks on it, and he'll take the free 10th one. That, that was actually in Queenstown recently. The boys were at this coffee van, and there seemed to be, like, this free one. So he's given it the old... I'll take the tenth, the tenth free one. Thanks, mate. <laughs> mate, there's always one. There's always one. Um, second dream. So if you weren't living your dream like you currently are, or maybe you're not, is yeah, yeah. What is your second dream? It's tough because I'm. I would have loved to finish like my uni degree, and yeah. So obviously I ended up doing physics, and I have no idea where that would have taken me. I started doing like a geophysics, so like your earth physics. Uh, I sort of started in that in that road, and then I ended up doing like an. Um, it was one of those little, I don't know what the, I can't even remember now. Been that far out of it, you know. You just have to do like a pickup paper, yeah. one of the random like pickup papers at uni or something. I can't remember what they're called. I actually ended up doing um, an astrophysics, like space physics paper, out yeah. a real random pickup thing, and I really enjoyed that. So like, who knows? Potentially with physics, I would have loved to have finished the degree. And be somewhere sciencey, I reckon. So who knows? Mm, NASA one day, maybe, eh? Yeah, yeah. Who knows? Uh, biggest grub, with or against? I've always, <laughs> I've always had my good couple of battles with Colsey, actually. Eh? <laughs> <laughs> Getting that was it a yellow card last year, but I mean he's sort of known for it. But yeah, it was probably my doing. Winding, I wound him up, sort of like hit him, and then he was after me in, in the game last year. So. <laughs> He's had a, me and him have had a couple just pushing shoves, which has been a bit of a laugh. Mm, yeah, no, that, that that was a good watch. It was even better seeing his reaction when he knew he was going to win. <laughs> Can we push in the face? Yeah. Uh, best piece of advice you've received or you give out? Oh, um, you know, something that sticks with me. I don't know if it's, again, it was sort of what I was saying around like moving away and improving myself. Like I never, I never personally want to be judged on or criticised for my effort. 
So I will always make sure that that thing is number one in my game. You know, whether it's 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 more, you know, in your game, it's the small things that potentially someone in the crowd won't see, but your coaches and teammates will. So I don't know how that could be put as advice, but for me, you know, personally, that's that's something that I would pride myself on is, is never being sort of criticised for, for my effort. That's always a priority to, to make sure I personally get right all the time. Nice, bro. I like it. Uh, and last question, you've got to finish the sentence for me. Saturdays are for... <laughs> the boys. <laughs> what else? <laughs> hey, I, I've, oh. I've, re- I've received some different answers. I, oh, I yeah? Yeah, yeah. It's, you know, some guys are family men. Oh, um, yeah, that's fair. That's fair. That I've might even, change one day for me. Yeah, bro. Yeah. I've even heard um, the old the old guy here and there's gone, oh, rugby? I'm like, not what I was looking for, but like, I, li- I like where your head's at. <laughs> passionate, passionate there. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but yeah, legend. Uh, yeah, what, what can I say? Thank you very much for your time, Mitchell. I, I appreciate all of your insight. I have no idea how long this has gone on for. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I what a bit of weaver, eh? <laughs> I appreciate <laughs> no, you sticking good. with me um, through all of it. Best of luck for the season. And yeah, take care of yourself and what is a pretty weird time we're living in at the moment. Yeah, 100 man. Awesome, mate. Thanks for having me. Good to meet you. Legend, Mitchie. Appreciate it. Cool, man. Appreciate it, bro.